Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman, with us on our uh, weekly Sunday show, talking about the games of the week in politics. And of course, MLB, and we'll talk about that walk-off. No, no, maybe we won't. But anyway, joining us is, as normal, John Bennett from CQ Roll Call and former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. This week, we got a lot to talk about, including uh, faith in news being at its lowest point in a long time, uh, Biden's Kiev surprise or Kiev surprise, and uh, the, <laughs> which will segue into John Bennett's wonderful top 10 presidential power rankings so far this year. We also want to talk a little bit about Julian Assange and uh, his son, Gabriel Shipton is, I'm sorry, his brother, Gabriel Shipton's new movie called Ithaca about the fight to free Julian Assange. And of course, we can't get away with uh, out talking about the war in Ukraine writ large and uh, the latest in machinations going on in the Justice Department regarding Donald Trump. So that and so much more. So stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Caraman. Uh, Faith in News is at its lowest. Gentlemen, is anyone surprised at that? <laughs> that's That just seems to be where we are these days. Uh, there's been recent magazine articles, newspaper articles about the uh, uh, losing faith in news. Now, I, we all have our reasons as to why we think that happens uh, John, you've had to work with some young reporters. You've been in the White House. You know what we're talking about. What's wrong with the press, baby? Well, um, I, this is there's so many factors that that go into this. Uh, we could do a whole podcast just on this one question. You could write a book um, on it. I saw. I know somebody who <laughs> did write a book on it. You can pick it up at wherever fine books books are sold. Are sold. <laughs> That's right, uh, Brian Karam. That would be you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, corporate ownership certainly has has a role here, um, but you know, the news isn't great. Uh, it's never great. Um, you know, uh, President Biden did an interview with ABC News at, that aired, I believe, Friday night. But I, I finally I saw it this morning on this week, um, and and he mentions this that you know, whenever anyone turns on the news, it's all bad news. Um, people. People take that and think that we're working to depress them. But I think what a lot of folks get wrong, I've said this for years, they are the market. 
we are now so dependent on you know web traffic and and internet and or to, uh, social media impressions and all that, but they're the ones doing the impressions for the most part. Readers are so we're responding to a lot of market forces here. Readers are the market; they have a role here. If they clicked on other stuff, uh, newsflash, we would we would trend in that direction to give them more of that stuff. Um, and, and the news is just you know it's relentless. The news cycles are are short, fast, and intense. And people say they don't like it. They keep clicking in big numbers. So, um, you know, it's a profession that's, that's what is it, 26%, I believe, in that poll? Uh, yeah. Positive 50 years ago, we, most people in the U.S. trusted us. Today, uh, most people in the U.S. do not trust us. And there's I, a I lot wanna, of reasons. Yeah, ideological. I want to speak to something that you said and get Michael's uh, view on it, too, is there's a point made in this New York article that journalism is not a public service. It's a business, as you said. And the most influential journalists today are employees of large corporations. Their work product is expected to be profitable. The notion that news is or ever was a loss leader is a myth. And the business is all about eyeballs. You don't. But what has changed, Michael, in the last? I mean, that's been that way for a long time. Is it social media or are we just looking at? the evolution of the marketplace? Well, I think we're looking at a lot of different things that all come together. Social media, of course, is is one of them. And in a sense, the monopoly of networks and the major newspapers is undermined by access to social media. It's not completely that way, but people can be their own news person, the so-called influencers are right essentially broadcast networks they have more people following them than the nightly news with lester holt so uh, so you've got <laughs> um you've got a lot of you know sort of democratization of the news through social media uh but that's not necessarily a good thing but i think that the article um says that when trump really went all in on attacking the media, making Richard Nixon look like a friend of of the media, that it really, combination with social media and his Twitter um, habits, really was a, a an inflection point. And it's from that we haven't um, fully returned. Now, we say that, and then I, I was looking for my podcast um, for a, a book, uh, and which just was released called "When the News Broke," the Chicago 1968 uh, Democratic Convention and right. the Polarizing of America, and um, Heather Hendershot, who is a media historian at MIT, said that was an inflection point that people started distrusting mainstream media. Uh, around the Chicago um, Democratic Convention where all the anti-war uh, protesters were beaten senseless by Mayor Daley and, and his crew and they and the coverage of it was you know meh. So there are lots of points in time, Brian, where we can say this was what caused people to dislike the media. but I think the proposition that she that has put forward in that New Yorker piece that Trump's unrelentless, his relentless, rather unrelenting attack on the media combined with social media 
platforms amplifying it um, made for a, was a difference maker in terms of people's distrust. Do you do you think uh, it, let's take a look at what's going on in the last week and uh, as a way of, of uh, looking at all of this, because I, I think what's happened during the last week or so has, has certainly um, shown how divided and divisive and, and uh, problematic the press is. Let's start with uh, Biden's Kiev surprise showing up in the middle of Kiev with uh little or no advance warning. There were two members of the uh, press corps in the pool that were um, told about it. It had been ongoing for months. And uh, so President Biden shows up in the middle of Kiev in a war zone, not controlled by U.S. troops, and he gets pummeled for it on one side of the press, and he gets uh, brought about as a saint on the other side of the press. John, when you sat there and read, read that, I mean, it, it showed me there's no more divisiveness and no more problem in the press, more emblematic of what's in the going on in the press than what happened there. Uh, when you looked at it, what was your what were your thoughts? I mean, you know how what what goes into planning one of those things that was not easy to do. No, that was that was really difficult uh, to pull off. A uh, ten hour train ride, the special ops unit on the train. Uh, air support, you know, you're going through mountains and, and all kinds of stuff. That's a, that's a long ride. Um, and to keep it quiet, um, I mean, you had to have a lot of people involved, uh, you know, so we, but, but you're right. You described it accurately. So, you know, the president uh, for Republicans, uh, the president is either, uh, it's really damned if you do damned if you don't. So he, he hasn't been to, uh, East Palestine, Ohio, where the the the, the chemical train uh, derailed, and they seem to really—that's when—that's when they really turned that up. I don't think Republicans planned to turn East Palestine into this culture war uh, topic all of a sudden. I it seems like they just did. stumbled. Well, they, they Trump started it, and then Biden goes to Kiev and. And then Republicans say, well, he's in Kiev and not East Palestine. And then this blows up into a culture war uh, at the by the end of the week. That that was not the case last Monday. That was not the case when we sat here last Sunday. East Palestine yeah. was was not quite the partisan issue. I think that when you couple the two together, the Kiev trip and East Palestine, I think that really shows um, the partisan media divide. And but you do get from a lot of. Um, mainstream outlets, this um, this almost almost praise of the president that sometimes makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable too. Yeah, it, it's this almost rooting for the president, uh, especially on Ukraine, especially on the Ukraine war. And I get it. You don't want Vladimir Putin grabbing countries and putting the Soviet bloc back together. I understand that, you know, any just about any U.S. president uh, maybe Trump, maybe not, uh, would get involved over there and try to help Ukraine. But I think some media outlets, um, they're a little too into this war, little, little too pro, uh, and and not you know not calling balls and strikes and not looking at it with a critical enough eye. And there's a lot of taking the administration's word for things. And I just, you know, I, I just think we need to be a little more critical, have a crit more critical lens, especially because of the well, look. When we got in World War II, we kept secrets for the U.S. government. We we were rah rah. We were, but we were involved in that war. 
this is World War III by proxy. I mean, we're looking mm -hmm. at a China, Russia, American proxy war going on in Ukraine sure. right now. And there is no way, no way that um, the reason there's no way that can be done and we not risk the, the possibility of all out nuclear conflagration. There's just no way you have to have that in the back of your mind in every decision that's made in this war from the top of every country. And so that you you want to hope that the president and his people are cognizant of it and don't slip up and you're and you're praying that they don't, but and you don't want to play into China and Russia's hands. But at the same time, you do need to be critical of what they're doing and ask the question. How did you come to this decision? How is it that you did that? Please be uh, open and honest with the American people. Michael? Well, I think that's all fair. I don't like the whataboutism part of the Republican talking point of yeah. he has time to go to Kiev, but he doesn't have time to come to um, Palestine. Oh, Palestine, Palestine. <laughs> that one I, I don't know. know how to pronounce. It is Kiev, though. <laughs> yeah. He hasn't. He hasn't come to Ohio. I, I think that's the, the from all I've read. All of the emergency FEMA type people were on the ground within two hours of that um, train derailment, and that's what matters most, which is securing the area against you know leakage, making sure the people are safe and know what they should do. And yeah, there's a. Yeah, sort of an importance for a symbolic importance for the president to to show up, uh, but I, I can say if I were the president, I would not want to be bullied into showing up because a, a news network or uh, conservative media wants to make a talking point out of it. I mean, now he now he actually shouldn't go there for a little while until it's on his his timeline. But you know, we talked about. Ukraine war uh, in in the past, and it really comes down to what is your view of what's going on there. If you acquiesce in well, some way, your view way has to, to be shaped by the information. Yes. Well, that's right for sure. Yeah. But um, but if you say, well, you know, so Russia holding on to Crimea, it's not so bad if we can get peace um, in 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 the south and the east and and and, and otherwise, and others might say. If we accept the acquisition of uh, Crimea, then what principles do we stand for? And what happens next if China goes to Taiwan or uh, Nepal is invaded? I mean, where do, where are we? How are we drawing lines around these things? And so it's, it's an important important issue without any simple answer. Um, but the president is determined to defend Ukraine's sovereignty, and that's not going to change. And people can, you know, worry about it, but it's not going to change. He's, 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 he's in. steadfast um, yeah. on being all in on this thing. And that's, uh, that's something that we should all, two things I want to point out that we need to be aware of is in the uh, trail derailment in Ohio. This is not a, they don't happen very often. There were no lives that were lost. There water that can be poisoned. The ground may be poisoned for years. All of that. That's true. However, we cannot overlook the fact that while Donald Trump visited Ohio, he is also 
partially responsible for what occurred in Ohio because during his administration, there was pushback against enacting uh, legislation or, or regulations that would force some of the companies that uh, run the railroads to put, you know, to be more, uh, what's the word I want to use, uh, better at, at putting brakes on the damn trains. Part of the problem was, was that, uh, so Donald Trump has some culpability for what occurred. Um, I, I wouldn't expect him to go to Ukraine. So that's a false comparison, you know, for people to say, well, Donald Trump, you know, didn't go to Ukraine. Well, he's not the president and I wouldn't go there either if I, I didn't have to, and I have had to, um, as far as, uh, Biden goes, I don't think it can be overstated and I'm not a raw, raw guy by any means, but having been in Ukraine and knowing the situation as I do, the planning into that was heavy. It was months long. And at the end of the day, it was, uh, there's no way to guarantee an American president's safety in a war zone that the U S army is not involved in hell. There's no way to control it in a war zone that we are involved in, but it's even more chaotic in a war zone in which we have no participants for that. that I don't think there's the analogous situation. I don't think any president has ever been in an analogous situation. The closest was Abraham Lincoln at Fort Stevens showing up and sticking his head above the parapet and being shot at and somebody telling him to get his damn fool head down. That's the closest we've ever had of a president in that type of situation. So the personal courage I respect for going there if, and Make no mistake about it. This is where, John, I, I think the, the that you have to have the critical eye and the analytical eye is that at the end of the day, if President Biden had died in that war zone, we would be looking for, you know, level 3000 sunblock right now. This is that that was putting a lot on the don't under don't understate it. Don't over. But the fact is, if if something had happened to Joe Biden in that war zone, we'd be in a shooting war right now with Russia and China. And there's yeah. no way around that. He risked a lot to go there. And I don't know how comfortable I am that he did, but I'm, I admire the effort put forth and it showed that what they did was mere, mere theory before they pulled it off. So the U S I said uh, this week, I, I, I think it was one of the U S military's finest hours not because of the shots taken, but because no shots were taken. There was excellent is, planning. Yeah, the, and you're right. This is a proxy war. Uh, this is why you still have to have open channels of communication and back channels to the Russians, to Vladimir Putin. And it was communicated, apparently, to the Russians that that you know a VIP visit was happening and they needed to be on their best behavior yeah. and not cause World War III. So this is why you 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 still need to talk to your enemies or you need to have someone who can talk to those folks for you. And the the Biden administration has um, has established that kind of I don't want to call it a relationship because Jake Sullivan um, this morning uh, described and uh, Bill Burns, the CIA director. Um, there's not much of a relationship there. That's not shocking. But you have to be able to to send these messages um, and have some kind of dialogue every now and then. Uh, so that's a good thing that the administration has done. Um, and, and you know, they've used that a few times. Uh, Burns was dispatched, for instance, uh, to talk to um, his Russian counterpart by Biden early on, or or I, I don't remember when, but uh, 
he jumped on a plane and 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 he's the one who communicated hey don't use a tactical nuclear weapon because there will be severe consequences and he said his russian counterpart got the message understood <laughs> so yeah I, I think this is a sign that you know there that that there are some rational beings left in russia that are near vladimir putin even though uh, burn said this morning that that circle gets smaller and smaller yeah michael final word before we go to break I think what's also important is the open conversations that the administration is having with China at its highest levels, because keeping China neutral or as neutral as possible, I think, is a a, a key success factor. If China starts sending munitions and uh, and hardware to to Russia for use in this thing, this thing could become, you know, Afghanistan. They could be there for for a decade. And so that's important. But the one thing that I heard said on the, the Sunday shows this morning was that for Biden, this was a moment where he looked presidential and he didn't look old. And as a jumping off point for I'm running in 2024, you see how vibrant I am. I took two 10 hour train rides in a 25 hour period to a war zone, you know, no one else has done that. If you think I'm, if you think that's a sign of me being too old, you know. <laughs> so I think there was a, I think there was a, I think there Good is point. an important PR component to this. Sure, <laughs> no shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, he's he's walking around. He's walking around outside in Kiev with, uh, with Zelensky. He's got his aviators on. Yeah, there's air. You know, there are air raid sirens, sirens. in the background. So, and, uh, and that segues you know. nicely into our next piece. But we're gonna take a short break, and when we come back, the uh, John Bennett's wonderful top ten list, power rankings of presidential. This is only as of today, folks. So things can change. But power rankings for those wanting to run for president in 2024. You might not be surprised at who tops his list. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, it is Just Asked a Question. We are back. I am your host, Brian Karam. And if I manage to stumble over my own lips at least three more times today, I'll be par for the course. We left talking about uh, about Joe Biden walking through uh, the streets of Kiev with his aviators on looking presidential as a bit of a PR. Uh, it, it is a PR. It, it was a very strong statement by the U.S. government, and it was a very uh, substantive uh, statement by the U.S. president, but it was also, uh, you know, perhaps his uh, touched point, his stepping off point running for, uh, or the beginning of his, I'll get the words right, see, I only stumbled over my tongue three times, uh, running for president in 
2024 for re-election. John, you have this week came up with your top 10 uh, power brokers in D.C. right now that could run for president. Topping your list. We won't do David Letterman. We won't wait till the last and, and you know, go in reverse order. You have Joe Biden at the top of your list. Yeah, we uh, this is something that we decided to do uh, maybe once a quarter or so. And this was a good time with Congress on recess and everybody you know, catching their breath a little bit uh, to do it. And when we did the first version, this is the third, Biden was ninth. Uh, he, he rose to sixth uh, in September when we did it again. And since then, you know, he's 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 first by default in some ways, but he has been on a roll lately. The State of the Union was a big victory. Uh, Republicans came out of there looking not so great. Um, and and he negotiated with them in the House chamber. Um, and that was a big win. And he's, you know, the foreign policy wins. Uh, as you said, the the war in Ukraine is a it, it's a good look for him. And, you know, he was foreign relations chairman for years and years when in the Senate. So he knows this stuff. This is um, this is really in his wheelhouse. So we decided uh, really that that Biden has just been on such a roll that, you know, he's got he's got all the juice right now. And, you know, Chuck Schumer had been in the top spot, but um, there's not much Chuck, can, Mr. Schumer can do right now except move nominations. Uh, it took the Senate an odd amount of time just to get organized. So he falls uh, out of the top five. Uh, they're not doing very much, but judicial nominations are very important. So, um, you know, yeah, I believe he's in the sixth spot. And the other notable, uh, the other, the, the one that was most notable to me, um, despite it all, despite all the drama over uh, his speakership bid and all the that's the one votes, that surprised me. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. No, Kevin McCarthy, I put him third and, and you know, there not really much debate uh, as it, as, as the story moved through the process. Look, he's negotiating with the president of the United States one-on-one -on -one over the debt ceiling. And he's probably going to get some federal spending cuts, which will please his base. And, and, and that's what Republican voters want. That's one thing that they say they want in big numbers. So despite it all, McCarthy's got plenty of juice too. And he he's used media appearances and press conferences to let his caucus know, you know, you guys might yell at the president during a joint session, but I'm the one in the room, not you. I'm in, I'm looking across the resolute desk negotiating this deal with the president, not you. He's calling me two days later to keep it going, not you guys. So McCarthy has emerged from this, and, and a couple sources told me that this would happen, um, you know, once he got past all the drama and, and we got into this debt ceiling fight that McCarthy's stock would go way up, and he has. And the other one I'll mention, another two I'll mention, you know, I put James Comer and uh, Jim Jordan, uh, the chairman of the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees, together uh, because they're doing all these investigations of all things Biden, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, uh, Burisma, China, you name it, the, the famous laptop. The reason I put them where I did, I believe fifth, because Comer recently said um, that he agrees with Democrats about Jared Kushner and Donald Trump's dealings with Saudi Arabia uh, before, during the administration and after Trump left office. And Comer says he wants to write a bill. He actually wants to legislate, which we hadn't heard that before. 
He wants to tighten federal ethics, ethics laws, especially with, you know, White House staff. So I thought that's interesting. I don't know if they'll follow through on that. I don't know if it can get to Biden's desk or if he would sign it. Um, but for now, at least, I, I put them in the top five. Now, they do have to start showing us some evidence. They say they have all this evidence. Right. Um, but we haven't seen any. So they'll fall if we don't start seeing some of that evidence soon. And lastly, uh, Donald Trump, still at 10th. He had gotten, I believe, as high as eighth and just an underwhelming uh, campaign so far. He says it's too early, you know, to have the raucous rallies. And he's been doing some things that that are mostly fundraising. And you got to do that. Showing up but, throwing water in, in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Bottles um, of water. But, but my question for you is, look, all those aside, Kevin McCarthy is surprising me. He turned over. Uh, the tapes, uh, everything from what uh, to to who? Who did he turn over? What to he, whom? He turned over hours and hours and hours of Capitol complex security footage from January sixth during the to, riot to Sean Hannity of Fox who, News. Who? Sean? Who? Sean Hannity. That means, that's Michael. Can is that? Is there a legal? problem with that or is that a problem that we, is is there something wrong with that is it okay for him to do that if it were to have a negative impact on ongoing uh, criminal investigation slash trials then sure it's a terrible thing to have done if you're going to give to uh tucker carlson videotape which then he can review and edit or even if he doesn't selectively edit it put out into the public domain regarding trials that may be upcoming for uh people who invaded the capital or were behind the invasion of the capital it just seems a really bad idea from a, a legal standpoint does it implicate law violations i don't think so i mean i think there's nothing that um it's going to be a political unless it's classified unless it's classified you know unless there's stuff in there that's classified then we've got a sharing of classified documents uh stuff well, if he makes but, that information available to one it seems to me that he it has to be made available to all it it's, would it would seem so but his answer was i'm going to give it to tucker first and then others later and I understand that that was a deal that that was put in the works when he was scrounging for votes to become speaker, that that was one of the, you know, sort of conditions of the Freedom Caucus or otherwise, that that those tapes be made available. Uh, you can fact check me on that, but I thought no, that. I, I understand I that, this, but I don't understand how, look. the oh, Wait, wait a second. You're, you're, you're confused. Let me just see if I could sum this up quickly. You're confused that McCarthy doesn't have principles. Is that the part of, <laughs> part of your confusion that there's uh, what? No, what I find confusing it, it uh, you know, going back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of the hour, why in the hell aren't more journalism corporations? Why aren't the media moguls at the top going, shit, you got to give it to everybody. You can't Whoa. just give it to one. But where is the FOIA request? Where, where is the mm. legal where that's that's, a, uh, that's the the problem. It's not that 
it's the idea to me whenever I covered something at a local level, for example, if a judge said, I'm going to give this information to so-and-so and I can do it, then we 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 would be in court the next day going, if you give it to them legally, you have to give it to us. And and we would have our lawyers screaming from the highest mountaintop. But I, I see this as being a, another example of where we fail. That yeah, I mean, obviously, we all know Kevin McCarthy has no ethics. <laughs> but to, to see us not pushing, if we are even the ratings mongers that we claim that we are, the ratings to be made and just screaming, give it to me too. But I don't see that. So that's that's where I am. But I, I want to take you, Mike. On, uh, I, go ahead, sorry, John. Sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The the minority on 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 those committees, and I forget which committee that that they made this request through, but the minority can also ask the Capitol Police and the architect of the Capitol for the same footage, and they have both confirmed they have to give it to either side. So all right. all the Democrats would have to do here is make the request, get the footage, and give it out to to media outlets. They have not done that yet. Um, and I know. that's a question of, they don't always play that way. We've talked a lot about that here. Um, you know, you could have made that request and, and had it and had it out there, uh, by the end of the week, but they didn't do that. And, and so again, that's, well, that's Democrats as well, but I mean, I'm still pissed. I'll, I'll, I'll re remain, I'll have, I'll reserve my anger for what we don't do. Um, I can't, I have no control over what Congress does and have, Oh, and admitted that for years. But what we're talking about on January 6th goes to, Michael, something that uh, you, we were talking about earlier. The chief justice of the federal district court in Washington, D.C., rejected Representative Scott Perry's bid to shield more than 2,000 messages relevant to Justice Department investigators probing efforts by Donald Trump to subvert the 2020 election. This is according to newly unsealed court findings. Uh, Chief Justice, I'm sorry, U.S. District Court Chief Judge Beryl Howell unsealed her uh, decision Friday, determining that the powerful public interest in seeing the previously secret opinion outweighed the need for continued secrecy. Amen. Woo. Hallelujah to someone who finally understands public interest. Were you surprised? By, I mean, of course, we didn't ask for it, but the judge saw the need for it. Michael? Well, Media organizations actually did ask for we, it. There was no suit filed, but go ahead. Yes, there no was suit, point. but yeah. I, I, I believe that media outlets had asked her to yes, unseal, and then she said no. Grand jury secrecy um, precludes that, um, and then she changed her mind and decided yeah. that that she would release it. the The heart of the issue is that the prosecutors wanted um, Perry's cell phone to look at contacts he had with uh, the guy from the Justice Department, Clark, who's under investigation, Trump's lawyer, Eastman, who's under investigation, All both of them were architects in the um, effort to put false electors in. And he also wants to, they also want to know about conversations that Perry had with state legislators in these so-called battleground states what the court had to rule on was perry's assertion that those messages on his cell phone were covered by the speech or debate clause which covers the 
work of legislators in their legislative capacity from being called to account by the judiciary. And what she determined was that this uh, these emails do not constitute speech or debate protected uh, materials, just like was ruled on when Lindsey Graham tried to do that in Georgia. They said, most of the stuff, what you're doing here is political. It's not legislative. Um, and to use uh, Beryl Howell's, Judge Howell's uh, language, she said that uh, Perry had taken an astonishing view of his immunity that would effectively put members of Congress above the law and free of political consequences for their actions. And so as a consequence, she ordered him to disclose 2,055 documents, which he sought to re, uh, withhold, including 960 contacts with members of the executive branch, which he said, which she said was not entitled to constitutional protection. So we'll see what's in there. We'll see what liability Perry has, if any, and or what the inner workings of the big steel stop the um, transition of power was, as Perry may have spoken to um, Trump or Pence or anybody else that could give us some insight into into that from a proving your case uh, in court standpoint. So well, it's a significant I, decision. I, I remember standing in the White House briefing room once and asking and getting an answer from both the president at the time, Trump, and his press secretary at the time, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and I asked pointedly, do you believe that the president or members of Congress are above the law? And they said no. And every action they've taken since then has, has of course, proven that that is a lie, that they do believe they are not responsive to the law. So for me personally, that particular ruling by Howell, by Judge Howell, and the wording that you quoted does my heart good, but I hope people understand that what it means is for the U.S. and and of course for reporters who really would like to cover administrations and use real information instead of disinformation and and maybe become more trusted. I always say it's the government that's destroyed our trust. We we aided and embedded it. John, what do you think of the ruling? One thing that jumps out at me, uh, Judge Howell called Perry's uh, a view of his own immunity. Um, astonishing <laughs> and and some of the wording in her decision um these judges that have that have taken january 6 cases or cases related to donald trump's effort to overturn the election or win georgia the, the you can you can feel how almost insulted the judges are these are really serious folks usually who get these uh these 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 really high uh federal judgeships and they're they've been doing this their whole life, just like Michael. Uh, they're very serious legal minds, and you get this sense. Uh, and some of them have written this that they read the, the 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 court filings from this time Perry, sometimes Trump, that camp, and they're just they're just as she said, astonished. They're almost insulted that you're making. I am a federal judge. I've been doing this my whole life, and you're really arguing this in front of me. You really expect me to take this seriously. 
Uh, and it's just the latest in a trend of these judges just really sounding off, just, just really laying into these folks. And but, but doing it in a nice way where I might say, oh, yeah. you know, per Perry's so full of shit. His eyes are, they're just <laughs> going, it was astonishing. <laughs> I'm astonished. <laughs> yeah, it's like cursing in judge speak. Yeah, Michael, I'm astonished that she was astonished. <laughs> well, you know, we see language from courts in respect of the legal positions that uh, Trump and his uh, band of followers are taking. <laughs> Remember, um, Ketanji Brown, before she became Supreme Court Justice, ruled on a case and she said, presidents are not kings. Yes. Mm -hmm. Here's Beryl Harrell saying, this view is astonishing. And there are all sorts of judicial decisions by judges appointed by Trump and otherwise who are saying that these lawsuits that are being filed or have been filed or were filed were frivolous. And so they're, they're, they're largely doing their job. Now, yeah. Texas is another whole matter. Uh, the judge situation in Texas is, is a complete disaster. But by and large, these judges are doing what they are supposed to do. Now, the the judge, of course, in the Mar-a-Lago case, the one that was upbraided by the Court of Appeals and had to essentially with her tail between her legs uh, undo her terrible Mar-a-Lago decisions case. Right. Uh, I, and no one knows whether that was, she's a very new judge. No one knows whether that was done because she was too new to know the law or she was acting in a political way. But, you know, she's one of the, outliers of people who seem to be putting um, politics above um, sensible legal analysis. If, well, if that's what she, if that's what she did, I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah. accusing her of that. You know, she may just have thought in good faith that her decision was, was right. But of course the court of appeals sort of said, we're astonished that you could have thought that that was right. So, you know, <laughs> Did, in other words, did you go to law school? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's one of those. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> anyway, we're having fun with that. We're going to we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll have a lot more. Stick around. Hey, just ask the question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, uh, Brian Karaman. After laughing out loud at uh, the latest ruling by a judge regarding Representative Scott, let's go to uh, switch gears and talk a little bit more about the press. And there's a new uh, film that's out. It's called Ithaca. It's made by Gabriel uh, Shipton, who is Julian Assange's brother, and it features Julian Assange's brother. And but mostly, it's his father. It's his uh, 
his birth father who uh, was estranged from him for a while and is back with him and has been fighting to free Julian Assange. Now, <laughs> in the New Yorker, uh, it's pointed out by uh, by a person. I, I'll just read what it says. Um, Journalists are quick to defend anyone who uncovers and disseminates information as long as it's genuine by whatever means and by whatever motives. That part is true. Julian Assange is possibly a criminal. He certainly intervened in the 2016 election, allegedly with Russian help to damage the candidacy of Hillary Clinton. But top newspaper editors have insisted that what Assange did was protected by the First Amendment and the Committee to Protect Journalists has protested the charges against him. As pointed out in this film, Julian Assange is, uh, wants to be the U.S. Department of Justice under Mike Pompeo, I believe it was originally, wanted yeah. to prosecute um, Assange for the acts that he, not having nothing to do with Hillary Clinton, having nothing to do with Russia, but having to do with what happened um, in Guantanamo Bay and what was alleged to have been uh, war crimes by U.S. soldiers. That's what that's the only thing he's being charged with. He's been fighting extradition. He is in uh, he, he may be coming to the U.S. soon uh, to stand trial. And there are people who are asking a lot of people in our business asking that Julian Assange be freed. Now, in the past, we've there's been a, a flip of thinking in the beginning. Everyone was pro Julian Assange. The stuff came out about Hillary Clinton. Then they became anti uh, Julian Assange. And now he sits in prison and in uh, England fighting extradition. Michael, I'm going to start with you. Should he be extradited to the U.S. and face charges? I think what Julian Assange did was to act as a publisher of information that was provided to his uh, news organization, WikiLeaks. And I think he deserves First Amendment protection for the publication of that information. As a, accordingly, I don't think he should be chargeable and, uh, and extraditable. The charges against him are, that, that were filed in 2019, there may have been updated charges that I'm just forgetting about, was... Chelsea Manning uh, hacked, Chelsea, into, yes. hacked into a, a computer system. They say with Assange's help, um, and then he and he then published the the information. What the indictment says is that he is he aided in abetting the hacking. So we're not charging him for the publishing; we're charging him for the hacking. At least that was the initial indictment. I, I just think that's. You know, thinly veiled because he's being charged for publishing the results of uh, WikiLeaks's. Um, he's being published for WikiLeaks dissemination of information, yeah. and so I think from a First Amendment standpoint, uh, one has to be very nervous about prosecuting somebody for publishing information. Do we publish? Do we, as we did, do we prosecute? Um, Daniel Ellsberg for the Pentagon Papers. Do we public? Do we ben Bagdikian for for publishing them? Right for going all the way back to the rigid origins of the Espionage Act in 1919. They were uh, prosecuting people for publishing socialist anti-war magazines. I just think that whether you like Julian Assange or not, whether you think that 
it was in our national interest for him to have disseminated that information for me is less important than what are the First Amendment implications for a free press and a free society by prosecuting somebody for publishing information that the government doesn't want you to publish, which, by the way, um, as with um, Snowden, what they published was was shocking. Uh, the 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 surveillance programs, uh, the domestic surveillance programs of U.S. citizens, which yeah. these guys, uh, you know, which Snowden revealed and what Assange has revealed with his leaks, are astonishing. And so the prosecution of him, in some sense, is a, a dis- more of a distraction than, hey, let's look at the substance of what was published. Maybe yeah. that should be. Maybe people should be held accountable for lying to Congress about whether they were doing that. There's a part in the documentary where the father says just that. He says, you, you're paying all, not one charge has been leveled against anyone in government for what they did, but the guy who made you aware of what they did, he's being prosecuted. Right. So right. that's a really good point. John? Well, I'm I'm not sure. This is one of these that I'm just not sure about. And, and I've never, no one has ever convinced me that Mr. Assange is, was, or ever has been a journalist. No one has ever convinced me that what he did publish, and Mike was right, he was a publisher, that what he published was done so with a journalistic intent. And therefore, I'm not sure he should be subject to those protections. I'm just, I, I'm just a little dubious about his, you know, my, our motive as journalists would be to inform the public I think there was some there was a lot more agenda involved in his decision gonna, making. So I'm, I'm not sure say, the protections I'm gonna, transfer. I'm gonna I'm not gonna sit down. I, I wouldn't sit down beside in the in the congressional or White House press room or press gallery beside someone from WikiLeaks. They're not getting a credential anytime soon. So I'm just yeah, that's, I've never that's I've never gotten it. all the way there. Here's my thing. I don't care what his motive is. At the end of the day. My my whole thing, and and I don't care what um, whether he was it. What he did is what we often do, and at the end of the day, my concern is not so much. Um, it well, it is for him because of what he did, but it's the implications elsewhere. This case, should he be successfully prosecuted, can then be turned around and used against you, me, and anybody else in this business. And I don't know. <laughs> what a journalistic motive <clears throat> is that because the the motives of the um of fox news the motives of of the epic times the motives of newsmax are not what i would consider legitimate <laughs> journalistic motives yeah. and i don't i think when we start putting that tainting those things with with motive we lose sight of what michael was saying and that is at the end of the day what that what was done the facts are facts. The facts it the facts are at the end of the day, prosecuting him is a horrible blanket to throw over the First Amendment. So he's got to be yeah, defended just, from that. Go ahead. Can Mike. I just add something to that, which yeah. John um I think is 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 worth thinking about? The politics of of uh, Julian Assange are, are well known. He's he's a yeah. left-leaning person. And so if you say, well, he may have had a dual motive, one to publish and two to put forth his political agenda. 
and that undermines his, you know, sort of definition as a as a, a journalist. I, I think that that's that's really problematic, uh, especially if what you say is well. Then, if democracy now or the Intercept or Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, others who are all on uh, the the le- the less popular side of the political spectrum by corporate media and U.S. government. If if you can somehow say, well, they've got an alternative, they've got a, an agenda, um, and therefore they lose some status. I think I'm I'd be very worried about that. I I just don't know how you. It's a very slippery slope for me to to say if the motives. I mean, what were the motives of the New York Times and the Washington Post in 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 publishing the Pentagon, Pentagon papers? Yeah. Could I, you I, say I was, it was pure journalism, or you know there was some aspect of it that that was you know purely political and so that that you know that for me that's i i think you have to be sort of all in or 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 not you can't you can't have um it's not easy to draw lines that that ask for what was the intent of the publisher in in publishing it and they won't get a, a press pass. You're right. We can won't get a press pass in the in the White House. Well, they probably could. I mean, Cernovich was there, so you know, they, anybody right. could probably get into the the White House. But well, didn't Brian? Was, didn't didn't the consortium of reporters who reported on a lot of the Snowden stuff and 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 some of the wicked? Didn't they all like win the Pulitzer Prize or yes? The, or, or um, they've won uh, many journalistic prizes based on, and in fact, the New York Times, Washington Post originally were behind Julian Assange, then left him for a while. What the tipping point was for the left was when uh, he released information about Hillary, and they said, well, it was Russia who was trying to, and and then John, to your point, there are those who have said, well, he wasn't actually a, a journalist. And I remember what my professor in college said, the much wiser man than I. I cannot tell you what a journalist is, but I can tell you what an act of journalism is. And anyone can be a journalist. Anyone can be a reporter. Anyone can release information. And the First Amendment, we don't get special privilege as reporters. We have special hmm. privilege as citizens. And the ah. First Amendment is it, is for all of us. So his point was is that uh, what he did, what Julian Assange did in that moment. And look, you may think he's the biggest bastard in the world. I don't know him and he may well be, but what he did in that moment was what we do or try to do or used to try to do. That goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. What what are we doing today other than being propagandists? If we can't defend the release of information that's critical of our own government, where are we? You know, it's an interesting thing. You get a consortium of reporters from around the world winning Pulitzer Prizes uh, for reporting on information that people who were responsible for getting it out there in the first place, one is a prisoner, essentially, Snowden in in Russia, because he'll be prosecuted, and the other one is literally a prisoner in in England. And so, you know, some people are getting the, the Nobel Prize or the Pulitzer Prize or some other journalistic prize, for reporting on that, which two people who are uh, largely responsible for bringing it to our attention are possibly being prosecuted for. And that, to me, is a political prosecution. And that yeah. I don't like either. 
John, I'll give you the yeah, last I, word on it. Yeah, it, it, I I think you guys have have brought me into the tent, <laughs> into the tent. Even if I'm going to sit near the exit, and here's why I'm going to sit near the exit. If I oh, I'll be the, right there with you. <laughs> if, I was, if I was the editor in chief, publisher of uh, a news outlet, or uh, president of some kind of journalism board or organization, I would probably join you know the court filing or the lawsuit or whatever in support of of Mr. Assange. Um, but I don't think I would, you know, be all that aggressive in my support. Um, and that's because I think you do need to, number one, we need to be careful about not becoming activists. And I see yes. that creeping into some aspect of some media, major media outlets approach their philosophy. They're becoming activists. And we need to be careful. That's another reason, back to the first topic, why people, I think, um, have a, a, a worse and a more negative and more negative view of the press. They sense that activism on, on all sides. So, and number two, you do have to be careful who you throw in with. And there's some other things in yeah. Mr. Assange. There, there, there's some things in Mr. Assange uh, in his past that would just give me a lot of pause uh, about, you know, standing squarely in his circle. I, I think I would join it, but I would, I would stay on the periphery. Yeah, I, you wouldn't have him over the house for a barbecue, but you'll defend his right to. <laughs> no, that's not happening. Right. <laughs> I could live with that, but and I, I sit next to the exit usually because I can't stand most of the people in that room on any given day. So I, I mean, you and me be fighting for the exit row, Bob. <laughs> we'll just sit on. We'll just sit on uh, opposite sides of the door. We'll just crash <laughs> right, into each other trying to get out. We'll open the door, get out, and then and, and then you know block it so they can't. But. That's... <laughs> But at the end of the day, look, I, I, um, uh, I'll, we'll end the show today on, on, on a less serious note. Um, we, we spoke at the beginning. Baseball season is starting, and I've already voiced my strong opinion against the damn pitching clock. But, you know, that's, uh, it, they ended a, because of a, an error on the pitching clock. And see, we're not talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about a national divorce. And there have been a lot. There were actually people who emailed me and said we should talk about that in the show. And I'm only going to tell those people who sent me the email. I can. I will not talk about uh, kindergartners in an adult room. So <laughs> that's not going to happen. And I'm not going to. Uh, that's all I'll say about it. I'd much rather talk about the clock in baseball, the pitching clock. It's ruining the game. And they ended a, a preseason. Oh, wow. game. <laughs> they ended a preseason game on it. Hacks me off to no end. John, you get to go. You're you're. <laughs> oh boy, I've learned over the years that there's there where there are a few places you don't want to be, and one is in the path of a, an annoyed or angry baseball purist. Get out of the way. Don't go there. Don't engage. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> because you 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 can't you can't win the argument you can't budge the person. I, I will just say this: I the these these sports are now television products. They're packaged. Yeah. The rules are made for television, and they're made to sell to help sell um, TV and radio ads. So um, 
they do. So, and that so goes back totally to our cons- first topic about journalism, right. but go ahead. They want to, they, you know, they, they want to sell more ads. They want to have more ad times during the games, but that, that has helped lengthen these things to, you know, four plus hours. So I will say without getting into this debate about the clock and how it's going to affect records and, and all that stuff that purists, baseball purists love, they all sports need to speed these things up. They can't be four hours. I love sports, but you know, my, I've said this before, my favorite sport, college football, um, it's a four-hour-plus commitment that most of us just don't have. So I am generally in support of speeding up uh, sporting events, but I'm not I'm not going to talk about the pitch clock. I'm just not going to do it. They get rid of them. If you want to speed them up, get rid of those damn instant replay cameras. But that, <laughs> well, Michael- well, that, well, now you and I, we're in agreement. Yeah, that's replay, replay is ruining not just baseball. Ru- re- replay is ruining all sports. Yeah. Michael? Well, so how many <laughs> minutes are in a, a football quarter? 15 minutes a quarter, one hour game, regulation time. It should be done in an hour and a half at, at best. It is at most local levels, but not in college or, or pro. So it's a four-hour yeah. proposition for a one-hour game. game. And right. people have the audacity to say that baseball should speed up its game by there you go. 15 seconds between pitches or you can't throw the ball <laughs> over to first base to hold a runner uh, from 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 stealing or you can't shift. I mean, they shifted against Ted Williams and he still batted 400. So, yeah. you know, That's right. Hit the, the ball. You have to learn how to hit the ball to the opposite side. Hit the ball and shut up, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I am in one of those uh, places that Bennett doesn't want to be between me and, and I, I'm a, I, I am more of a baseball purist than I am. We got we've got to shave off 20 minutes from from the game. It, it you know the I watch the Yankees. Their games tend to take three and a half. They're, they're like the longest games in baseball, especially when they play the Red Sox. They all take a lot of pitches. They go to a lot of three two counts, and these games last. A long time. And yeah, maybe I don't have the time to invest in that, but I wouldn't want to change the rules so that Boston and Yankees baseball games have to take place in two and a half hours. And if you step out of the batter's box to settle yourself, um, you, you get a strike called against you if you're not back within eight seconds, all of which to me, you know, I, I guess the thought is, they're hemorrhaging fans, although I don't know if they, that's the theory, but I don't know if they actually are. And so they got to find a way to speed up the game. I don't know that. I well, don't it's know like that. John said, it's it's turning it into a television product that you can sell. And I, you know, because we got right, two but hours I, but here. I guess, but I guess what I'm confused about is which, where I started. If these I games know. take two and a half, three hours and um, hockey and basketball and um, football which play for essentially a shorter amount of playing time than baseball are allowed to take, you know, the three and a half plus oh, hours. Well, we'll I, have I, a, I, just don't, look at the, I just don't get it. They're going to look at the third replay and we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Mm-hmm. You know, I get tired of that crap. And look at the end of the day, you know, it, it's that George Carlin bit, you know, uh, football being originally you know, a sport played on a gridiron timed and, you know, baseball is ephemeral. It can go on forever. But the thing about baseball that I always liked in playing or watching it was that each play is coachable. 
each play there's a decision to make every pitch means a different i uh, but they they're taking it away and turning it into something if they really wanted if they really wanted to cut time out of baseball go seven innings you know <laughs> go go no. six, go five just one inning get the hell <laughs> screw you get out of here but they don't no. and and, and it, it is a bit hypocritical i can't watch pro football or college football anymore i'm reduced if i want to watch a real football game i'll go see a local high school game because at least i'm watching football being played and not the wwe in pads so you know what's interesting also to to this question of time we watched or some of us watched the world cup um, yes recently so they they play these players are on the field for 90 minutes and they have like a, a 10 or 15 minute break and they complete the whole game, unless it's overtime, in, in two hours. So they have 90 minutes of playing time, which they complete in two hours. And professional football has an hour of playing time, which they can't get done in four hours. Right. <laughs> and you never get that wonderful sound on a football game. Go! <laughs> if there is one. Okay. <laughs> there is one. There is. is there? You know, at least... At least forty-eight, thirty-eight keeps me uh, keeps me glued to the set for four hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, everything's we, flawed. Everything's flawed. That's, and we're flawed. We'll we'll make fun of this forever. But uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us again this week, folks. Uh, kick in, watch a wonderful uh, watch a wonderful baseball game. Go to one; it's a lot of fun. And meanwhile, don't go to the football game. Go to the high school football game. Support your local high school football players. Anyway, the name of the show is Just Ask the Question. Once again, thanks for joining us. Michael Zeldin, John Bennett. I am your host, Brian Karam. Uh, quick plugs, John, Michael, John, first. Uh, CQ Afternoon Briefing. Subscribe at CQ.com and check out uh, my weekly column, RollCall.com, every Friday morning. And Michael. I host the podcast That Said with Michael Zeldin. It's an author uh, interview based on books that I find interesting. And this week we released part one of an interview with Haroon uh, Demersian and Rachel Bade, who wrote a book called Unchecked, How the Democrats Blew the Trump Impeachments. <laughs> and uh, the 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 week after we're talking about how the confederate navy tried to convince britain to let it build a um navy uh to end lincoln's blockade and help win the war for the for the south so uh, the topics are all over the place but generally speaking interesting stories and the name of the podcast here is just ask the question thanks for joining us you can see my column on uh salon.com and of course, the name of the book is Free the Press. So stay wherever fine books are sold and some maybe not so fine books. And you can pick it up at Amazon talking about where not some fine stuff is. But anyway, <laughs> thanks for joining us. We'll catch you again next time. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us.